Welcome to Dear Wallflower, your podcast advice column where every week your hosts will answer a letter from listeners just like you, answering the big life questions facing today's women. Make sure to stick around for our weekly recommendations on books, movies, music, lifestyle, beauty, and more. We're so glad you're here. Grab a cup of tea and come on in. Welcome, dear listeners, to this episode of Dear Wallflower. I am your host, Keelia Clarkson. I'm an actress, writer, filmmaker, and the editor-in-chief of Wallflower Journal. And with me today is my lovely co-host, Jessica Schroeder. I'm a writer and PhD candidate, a food blogger, tea drinker, and adjunct theology professor. And today, we are very excited to welcome a guest to the podcast, Andy Kolber. Andy is a licensed professional counselor, speaker, and the author of Try Softer and Strong Like Water. She is a self-described deep thinker and deep feeler. She lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan with her husband and their two children. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you both so much for having me. I want to thank each and every listener who's tuned in today. Wherever you might find yourself, we are really glad that you decided to join us. And we will be getting to this week's letter in just a few moments. But first, let's get into our pre-letter segment of the show called Roses and Thorns, where we recount our highs and lows of the week, starting with our biggest challenges or frustrations that week, and finishing off with a blessing or positive, hopeful experience that we had. So Jessica, what was this week's thorn and this week's rose? So a minor thorn from my week was having to make a difficult decision at work. It's never easy to make decisions that will affect others, even if a small number of people and on a relatively minor scale. And then when you have to make decisions without as much information as you prefer to have, and it's a time-sensitive decision, these are all factors that compound to make things even more difficult. So um, in the end, I think we made the right call, but you know, being in the midst of that is intention that's a bit thorny. Um, <laughs> but my rose this week is the fact that I get... Um, I got get to slash got to be on Kelia's husband Nathan's podcast, The Overthinkers, to talk about plant based eating. So this conversation is too often restricted to strict labels and all or nothing approaches. So it was an honor and a treat to get to overthink it with Nathan and Joseph, <laughs> um, and getting into the nuance and the complexity of topics like veganism and various kinds of approaches to plant based eating. We had a great time. Uh, these gentlemen are a bunch of fun. Yes. <laughs> she could totally <laughs> sign off on that one. Um, by the time this episode comes out, by the way, that episode will already be out on The Overthinkers. So I hope our listeners will give it a listen. Yes. Everyone go over to The Overthinkers right after you finish this episode. And any big question of life that you have, they've probably discussed, which is so much fun. <laughs> it's an amazing podcast. Um, all right, Andy, what about your thorn and your rose? Yeah, well, great questions. Let's see. Um, I think for me, my thorn is that I am in a season where um, I'm about five weeks out after a book launch and um, there's been so many good things, but the reality is, is it takes a lot of energy uh, to launch a book into the world. And I think that I am feeling just some of the, like the aftershocks 
of the intensity, like just it requires such an immense intensity to live through. Uh, you know, for me, it was not only my book launch, but um, my, my dad died. I turned wow. 40 and my wow. book launched within three weeks of each other. My goodness. And so it has been quite a season. Um, and, and so, yeah, just, I think the thorn is more just like, um, yeah, like coming to a deeper awareness of the tiredness that comes with some of that, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I won't, I won't like button that up in a, in a pretty way yet because I'm going to go to the rose, but just honoring that <laughs> mm-hmm. is painful at times. Like, oh, wow, that, okay. I'm feeling that a little bit, you know? Yeah. I'm so sorry um, for your loss, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a complicated, it's been a complicated experience for sure. So thank you for that. Um, and then I would say the rose for me, um, honestly has probably been, there's been a couple different things. And I think that interestingly, after kind of coming to a place of like, wow, I'm so tired <laughs> um, and and really honoring that, um, I felt a really significant shift in my own system around just like feeling compassion for like, oh, wow, that required so much of me and sort mm-hmm. of a deeper um, softness towards myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, and as that was happening, um, so because I'm in Western Michigan, like there's not a lot of sun, but there happens to be some beautiful, the yesterday and today are beautiful And it's so cool to see how I think that deepening of compassion allows me to like really almost enjoy like, wow, like the spring is here. Mm. There's so much Mm. goodness and really kind of experiencing that more deeply um, because I think I I feel really connected to that softness right now. Wow. That's a lovely rose. Oh my goodness. Um, my thorn this week was just an overall busy schedule. Um, I've been feeling a little bit like as, as soon as I finish one task, cause there's about 18 more in line after that. So, um, it feels kind of like every moment is spoken for right now. And so it's been kind of hard to relax because of that. But, um, as we are, you know, still less than a month in, in our new apartment, I'm, I'm, I think I'm very much trying to establish rhythms here. So, I'm hoping you start feeling a little bit more settled soon. But my rose this week was a really lovely date night that I had with my husband. Um, We aren't really ones to go out and spend a lot of money on a date every weekend. That's just really not who we are. (laughs) But um, when we're able to figure out a way to have a lot of fun for very cheap, we're both very happy. And so this past weekend, we found these $4 burgers and don't worry, Jessica, they were (laughs) plant-based and we're very good. We were very pleased. And, um, and we grabbed some candy and sodas and we headed over to movies because we're AMC Stubbs members and everybody should be. (laughs) So we just love using any excuse to go to the movies. And, um, the movie was honestly not good at all, but we had a great time just laughing and having (laughs) our first proper date night in, in a little while. Cause we've both been pretty busy. <laughs> so that was my rose. That's worth celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just a couple of things before we move on to our letter for this week, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps to boost the podcast and get it in front of other people who might enjoy it and get something from it. 
And we would love to encourage you to send in your own letter to Dear Wallflower at wallflowerjournal.com. We would love the opportunity to speak into the issues that you are facing today. Okay, so let's move on to our letter for today, which covers the subject of struggling to heal from trauma. Dear Wallflower, I am a nurse who took care of COVID patients during the pandemic. Does that count as trauma? I'm having issues processing that grief, all the death and sadness, and just being strong for everyone else. Signed, Anonymous. So before we get into this, Andi, I want to acknowledge that, of course, you're not able to give clinical advice to this person as you are not their personal therapist, but we can try to talk about this question generally. So I first just want to pose a question to you. It's it's very interesting to me that our writer questions if this is even trauma, Mm. because I think many of us have wondered if these deep hurts that we carry with us sometimes for years are quote unquote real trauma. So when do you think that we're able to call something a traumatic experience? Mm. Yeah. Well, I, first, you know, thank you to that listener for writing in and, and thank you for your um, question, I think, with that. So I'll say a, a couple of things. Um, the first is, you know, I think first and foremost, anytime we're talking about pain, just in general, I think the place I actually want to start is to say, I think it's a shame that any of us have to question whether our pain in and of itself, like we're not even talking about trauma yet. And we can talk about that. And there's a several lenses we can use to talk about that. But it is a shame that when something is painful, that we have learned that it's not okay to give ourselves permission to really honor that. Like whatever other labels come on top of that, because certainly I think that we can talk about that as well. But sometimes what I like to say is, is if something is matters to you, if if you are experiencing it as being significant, then it's significant. Mm -hmm. Like full stop. Like there's almost like... And again, I want to speak to that even more in depth with the trauma lens. But I think oftentimes we are socialized. And sometimes that's like the bigger, like just our culture can teach us that our pain doesn't matter unless it fits certain categories. It can be our families. It can be systems. It can be in faith settings. We learn like here is the time that it's significant enough or it's valid enough for you to have an experience and be able to speak about it. And if it doesn't match that, um, then don't speak about it. Like it, it, like essentially it's kind of very binary. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's my first thing that I just would want to address. Like even before we get into those nuances, that pain in and of itself is, is a part of the human experience and that we are designed our bodies are designed to be able to metabolize pain and to process it. But in order to do that, part of that is, is we literally need to be able to tend the pain. Like in the same way that um, 
you know, a wound that we might experience on our skin can heal. Similarly, like our bodies can heal from like emotional pain, including trauma. But the things that block it are things like when we're disconnected from our body, when we, and that can happen through like feeling ashamed. Um, It can happen when we don't feel um, connected to others, when we feel really isolated and alone. Part of what happens is the natural capacities that our body have to process the pain um, they get stuck. And that is often where the pain never ends up feeling like it heals. Mm. And so, so it's like, I think it's important to recognize that not all pain becomes trauma. Not every experience that was hard is necessarily traumatic. But often the difference is, is if we have the support and the resources to, for example, feel our feelings and to feel them in a way that our body can actually process, um, Mm -hmm. almost similar to the way our body can like metabolize a meal, our bodies metabolize pain. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm going to take a pause because I want to shift it a little bit more directly to trauma. But I think in general, like that's how we can think about pain, that everyone has pain. Pain is valid because it exists. People are valid because they exist. And it's totally normal to want support and, um, and care for our painful experiences. But the second part of this, which to get a little bit more specific um, is about this trauma piece and, and from like a really big picture. So how I define trauma and it's a little bit more broad, but essentially how I define it is that it's anything that we experience that overwhelms our nervous system's capacity to cope Hmm. in a practical sense. What that means is again, if you think back to that metabolization sort of metaphor. Well, really it's more than a metaphor. I think in many ways it's actually literally what happens. But what ha- when we say that it overwhelms the capacity to cope, essentially what it's saying is something activates our body's um like fight or flight or potentially collapse responses. And then when that happened, our body didn't have enough really safety to feel like it could fully digest the experience. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, that experience, including the sensory experience, the, the images, potentially the smells, the emotions, they literally get stuck in your body in a fragmented way. Mm -hmm. And when your body picks up something, which is sometimes known as a trigger that reminds us of the original experience, it activates the fragments and it causes us to re-experience the event as though it's happening in the present. So within trauma, there are certainly some categories. Like, like for example, in the work that I do, we use something called the DSM to diagnose. And within that, there's, 
you know, um, a certain category of, you know, what is typically required to have, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. There are, Mm -hmm. there are actual diagnostic criteria that has to be met. And that is valid. That's a lot of times what people think about when they talk about trauma, like it's only PTSD. And, but what I would say is, is that there is a whole slew of other experiences that don't necessarily fit that category that were not fully processed in your body and remain. And those are sometimes referred to as what's called little t trauma. (laughs) And so people can have both, or they could only have big T, or they might have only little t, or they might have so much little t trauma that's unresolved that it actually acts on their body in almost similar ways to a big T trauma. <laughs> so I know I've said a lot here, but I but I partly set the table to say, it, and I know we'll unpack this more, but for this listener who's writing in, who's like, could this be trauma? I mean, the first place to start is, absolutely, this could be trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jessica, do you have any questions or, or thoughts right now? Well, as Andi just said, I, I would agree that this experience likely or you know possibly could and likely counts as trauma, whether that's little T um, or big T. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for our writer to have that designation to apply to her experience is a significant thing. I think there's great power in being able to name our experiences for what, what they are. And then yeah. we can then move forward, right? And engage them appropriately. Um I'm curious, Andy. Um, I think in in my initial response to this letter, I was thinking, you know, it'd be great for them to see a counselor, but I also thought about the benefits of potentially having a small community or, you know, a group, small group of of sorts of like-minded people that maybe whether that's other nurses or frontline workers or just other people who experienced COVID in a variety of different ways, how, how would you see the, maybe perhaps the combination of professional help and healing, and then maybe more like a community sort of focused group that's focused on, on fostering healing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love what you said that partly in there's some almost like freedom in naming the reality, even the possibility that it could be something. And um, yeah, to, to speak to that, I, I would say from a, from a therapeutic lens, you know, if something is trauma, um, which it very well could be, particularly um, even just to think about the extent of suffering that happened during COVID, um, the witnessing of the suffering, which is very much um, potentially part of what can, you know, cause trauma is, is it doesn't have to be you yourself even who's experiencing it, but to to witness that, like mm-hmm. what that also does to our bodies. Um, and so I think Jessica, to answer your question, I, I think that for this listener, I would, I would think about a few things. And the first would be to say, when you consider like what might feel most accessible to you to just begin, what feels most accessible? And so, because I think that 
what we are really trying to do, especially when we're first potentially addressing trauma, is we really want to honor our body's nervous system and and sometimes what's called our window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. So that's the range of arousal when we can feel something or we can think about something and we and we sort of stay our body stays integrated. We don't yet go into our our fight or you know sort of our stress responses. Right. And so if it feels like if going to a therapist feels like way too much right now, it might feel most accessible just to be with people who you feel like get it mm-hmm. to begin. Like, for example, mm-hmm. that might be the support you need as you start. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, ideally, I hope that that might help you. Maybe those folks around you will help you to connect with a therapist. Yeah. Now, sometimes it can be the opposite. Sometimes you go to the therapist and they might help give you the skills and the support you need to find the people. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. Um, So I would almost look to this listener to consider what feels most accessible to them. Mm. I love that you bring the window of tolerance into that decision-making process, because I think just like you were saying about pain and trauma, this idea of we have these expectations of you have to meet these criteria to be able to speak about this or, you know, in order to quote, fix the problem that you're feeling, you need to do X, Y, or Z. This is the only approach. It's honoring your own unique experience, what you have gone through and what would be the best first step to healing. Yeah. Yeah. What I hear you saying, Andi, is that trauma, while many of us have or will experience it, is incredibly unique and it's unique to us and our unique personalities will have something to do with how we handle it. And I think that kind of gets into the next like kind of question that I had, which um, at the end of this letter, she mentions that she is just, she's been strong for everybody else. Mm. And I've known a lot of people that, you know, they, they handle very traumatic experiences that way. I've seen people who fall apart, who become depressed. And I've seen people who are, you know, kind of very stiff upper lip and they're strong for everyone else. Do you think there's a balance between choosing to be strong, but also allowing ourselves to feel the depth of our emotions? Can we do both? Do you think? Mm. Well, I, yeah, I mean, so one thing I'll say, um, so I just had a new book come out called Strong Like Water. And um, I very much, you know, I think this concept of needing to be the strong one um, is one that a lot of people uh, resonate with, particularly if you've ever experienced any type of trauma, or maybe you don't even classify it as trauma. And actually, that's probably part of being the strong one, uh, <laughs> is, that you, is that you don't give yourself that permission. Um, but what I'll just say is that my, you know, my part of my aim in writing this particular book was actually to expand our definition of strength. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it applies to this particular thing that you're saying, because I think we have a very narrow view of strength um, in our culture. We see people who, who essentially are cut off from their internal experience. We often see them as strong. We see them as like, oh, well, they didn't, you know, she went through something horrific and she wasn't even crying. 
yeah. or, um, gosh, I couldn't imagine what she went through, but she's still doing X. Um, they went through the unimaginable, but look, they're still showing up for work, right? Like we view this as quote unquote strong. And what I would just say is I don't want to shame that kind of strength because of what I would say is that it's likely that each of those people feel like they don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I would say is that I call that situational strength and that is the kind of strength that's rooted in survival. It's this, it's this sense. And, and again, uh, when we think about the window of tolerance, essentially what I would say is that I think we're out of it when we are in situational strength, we are living from a place of there is no other choice, but to do fill in the blank, you know, mm -hmm. leave myself, push myself further than I can not feel my feelings, fill in the blank. But my sort of hypothesis and, and, and the work that I have done is to say, I have seen so many people, and this includes myself in my own work of healing from trauma, that I believe we need to expand the definition because we're not recognizing uh, the incredible courage, first of all, required to do things like heal, to do things like feel your feelings, to do things like ask for help, um, mm -hmm. to do things that are often not viewed as being strong, which again, for me, like kind of gets my goat a little bit <laughs> because, because I'm like, wow, this, it's not easy to do that. Um, but my, the way that I see that is, is that as our body, um, and there's a lot of neuroscience to support this, but essentially as our body perceives, we have the safety and support um, that, that we need, we move, we can move out of that situational strength into what I would call, um, you know, either transitional strength. So that's when our body begins to start to get back into the window of tolerance or ultimately towards what I would call an integrated strength. Mm -hmm. And in all of that cycle, part of why I think this is an expanded view is that ultimately when we are no longer having to be in our survival brain, we are actually more capable of moving through hard. We are more resourced, like we have more of ourselves to offer. Um, and so I know I went on like a hundred tangents there, but to bring it back to that original idea of needing to be the strong one, I think what I just want to say is I honor everyone who feels like they have to be the only one who can't speak up, mm -hmm. can't feel, can't let themselves, you know, quote unquote, be weak. And what I would just want to offer and invite is to say, might it be possible to begin to keep your eyes out for at least some spaces? Maybe it's not all, but even a couple where you don't have to carry that load on your own, because ultimately that leads us to a bigger, more expansive strength. Hmm. I love that. I love that expanded view. So I think I would fit into the category of, you know, the grabbing your bootstraps, pulling yourself up, you know, toughy up, don't cry, that kind of a thing. And I've realized over the past probably decade, if not more of my life, that when I'm able to live in a more holistic way, um, 
and even finding myself like crying in front of people I wouldn't expect mm-hmm. to cry in front of. If I'm feeling whole, mm-hmm. then I actually, I don't feel embarrassed by that. I feel like, no, this is appropriate. This is right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I've necessarily called it strength before, but it, it clicks. It completely makes sense in my mind. I very much look up to those in my life that I know who have gone through far more than I have ever gone through as far as pain, trauma, you name it, or whatever, you know, you, they would describe it as who have gone through counseling of some sort and have healed to a large degree. And I just think what courage, yeah, what strength it took for them to face the, you know, for maybe a lack of a better term, demons potentially mm-hmm. in the sense that they were like holding inside from, you know, years and years of, of pain that they had stored up in their bodies were holding on to that they were willing. Cause it takes courage to go back to those places, right. You're, you're kind of unearthing things that you're hoping maybe don't get triggered. And if they haven't been triggered, then you might feel safe from them, but to, to voluntarily go into those places mm-hmm. to move through them mm-hmm. with grace, um, that takes immense strength. So I think that's a terrific way mm-hmm. to help our listeners and you know, anyone who reads your book and interacts with you to redefine mm. that, that concept for us. Yeah. I have a question. Um, cause I've, I, I've met people that they talk about how they've, they've been through these very traumatic events and they kind of say, you know, I just never really processed it. I don't know. It just happened so long ago. I've just kind of moved on. And I've always been a little bit surprised with how um, kind of emotionless they they are about it, and and it seems like the type of thing that it it might be healthy to to go ahead and and as Jessica said, unearth it. Mm. How do people who are really kind of struggling to connect with the emotional side of their trauma who for some reason just feel like I don't know it feels like it happened to a different person or something how do they begin to sit in that pain and really process it yeah yeah great question um well so you know my perspective is there's a couple pieces that I'll speak to um the first is that I think something that can happen. And again, I don't want to guarantee that everyone who Mm -hmm. is in that role, like if I'm not with them, if I'm not their therapist, like, like even ultimately it's happening in their own body. So I, I just recognize, um, that difference. Right. But when I hear that with, with my sort of therapist hat on, I hear what I would think of as sort of a disembodied or like a disconnected, Mm -hmm way that they have learned to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so some, some curiosities that I would have is that, um, like if they are a person who feels connected to their body at all, because sometimes what can happen is that when we, when we find, when we find a way to survive, um, that keeps us disconnected from the body, which again, I want to honor why we would do that in the first place. We do it because when we've experienced trauma, sometimes our body um, can be can start to feel scary afterwards. Like to re-inhabit a place that has had scary sensations or mm-hmm. we've had terror or panic or disgust, like it makes sense why we disconnect. 
what's hard about that is that the cost is so very high. Mm -hmm. Um, We cannot partially disembody. Like when we learn to live that way, um, it does, it does cost us, I would say some of our humanity, Mm -hmm. like the things that also have the potential to bring us deep joy, deep connection are less available to us if we are not connected to our bodies. Right. And what I would say is that we also can't force people to go like where they're not ready to go. Mm-hmm. So like if someone is like, yeah, I've had this horrible experience that, you know, they're explaining it and they kind of have that like glazed over look and they're like, yeah, but it's over. And I don't really like to think about it anymore. We, we walk that fine line where you might even be a someone, someone who's like observing that person and thinking, oh, wow, like they need to work through that, you know? And it's not to say that there aren't ways we can come alongside someone in our life who's like that. But ultimately, again, thinking about the window of tolerance, what I'm hearing is that that person's probably on mostly on the lower side of their window, which is that um, mm-hmm. side is more our sympathetic nervous system. The low side is called like more of our dorsal vagal. And that's where it's a little bit more um, it's, it's dissociated, meaning um, we've, that's the disconnection. We might feel numb or depressed all the way to even in some situations, losing consciousness. And, and so all that to say, I think like compassionate curiosity, compassionate questions, like compassionate questions about like what it's, um, what it's like for them now (laughs) sometimes can spark people, um, in their journey. Um, and even, you know, loving feedback at times can, but also like to push people too fast (laughs) can actually make them, um, even more disconnected. And so it's this very fine line of that, that there's this hope that we begin in our own selves to recognize like trauma has already cost me so much. Like it's, and it, and I think that helps us gain this desire to be like, I don't want it to take anymore. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be the things, things like that can help us begin to really uh, take that journey. I really loved that that point that you made that it's already taken so much from someone and they have to want it to not take anymore. They have to say, You're, I'm not allowing this trauma to take any more away from me and, and my experience and my life here. It's a beautiful point. Jessica, do you have any last questions or, or thoughts before we begin to wrap this up? You know, um, I have... I have read part of um, Try Softer back in my my early PhD study days, and it was revolutionary to my perspective on myself because I am that, you know, try harder. Like, that's exactly why I think the title resonated with me so much is Try Softer. What does that mean? (laughs) How how could that be the right approach? Um, And it has just been so comforting to see what, self-compassion 
can look like. And I think it's not just self-compassion because we learn how to be compassionate to ourselves. We learn how to then give that to others. And Andi, I've heard you use the, the, the term honoring a lot mm-hmm. in terms of honoring our experiences and giving space for feeling things. And even just the way that you talk about connecting to our bodies. I think I, I forget how much these experiences, while I think, I think of them as emotional or mental, it, we are completely whole integrated beings and our, our bodies hold so much of that in terms of uh, memory and experience, et cetera. And I guess I'm just curious, um, you know, you spoke a bit about strong, like water and you've written try softer. If there's anything that you think is a really big, great takeaway from one of your books that you'd like to highlight that either relates to the listener's question or just more generally to these topics that we're discussing, anything that you would like to, to leave us with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you shared, um, about resonating with Trey Softer and, um, yeah, that mean that means so much to, to hear that. Um, as I think about, you know, folks who might be listening and particularly, um, the person who wrote in, I think my deep hope is that, is that they would be able to begin to, even if it's like borrow in a way, like, you know, that sense of that, it is okay to honor your body your story, um, and your pace. And, and particularly when I speak about our pace, what I mean is, is that I think so often when we begin to recognize like, oh, I want something to be different. We're like, I want it to be different right now. Mm-hmm. I want it to be different five minutes ago, you know? And so to, that there is like this, like, I think in order to do those, th- those three things that I, that I named, what I want you to remember what I want the listeners to remember is their own inherent dignity, mm-hmm. their own in, inherent value, you know, and, and a lot of my work, I, I integrate elements of faith and the Christian tradition. And, and for me, part of why I believe that it can be such a resource mm-hmm. is that there is this sense that a very deep rooted belief that we have value that exists full stop, not because we heal, not because we get it all right, not because we get any of this exactly like we check it all off the list, but because we exist. And so it's almost like my, my hope is that folks would be able to live from love um, and not for it, that that would be the touch point that they come back to again and again as they learn to honor their body, as they learn to honor their story, as they learn to honor their pace. Wow. That's a really beautiful last point. I, I just want to thank you for everything you've offered our our writer and every reader and even us. I, I got a lot mm-hmm. from this as well. <laughs> so thank you so much, Andi. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you for having me. Pleasure. All right. So it's time for the May We Suggest segment of the podcast, where we suggest to you the things that we have been reading, watching, eating, or wearing this week that made us really happy to be alive. Everything we suggest will be linked in the description of this episode for you to check out. So Andi, what is your suggestion this week? Mm. 
I am sort of re-listening to The Lazy Genius by Kendra Adachi. Um, I really love Kendra and just, I think she makes things that can sometimes feel overwhelming, feel a little bit more simple. And so, yeah, I'm really, that would be my suggestion. Amazing. I love it. And Jessica, what is your suggestion? Of course, I want to recommend both of Andy's books to our listeners, Try Softer and Strumming Like Water, (laughs) but hopefully that goes without saying. So I'll add in one other one, which we won't have to link because it's so ubiquitous, but um, something hopefully everyone can find, at least those in the Northern Hemisphere where it's currently spring, is asparagus. (laughs) I have just been loving um, the asparagus because it's, you know way affordable and particularly delicious as it's in season. And I just recently cooked up a whole bunch and to put a top, a top a steamy bowl of polenta just with some onions and green peas just felt very springy. So I hope that people will go and enjoy the asparagus. Incredible. It's (laughs) one of my favorite vegetables. I love it. Uh, This week I'm suggesting a book called the body keeps the score I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of this. Maybe some of you have even read it, but if you haven't, I strongly suggest checking this book out. It's all about how our bodies keep the quote unquote score of different traumas and pains and hurts throughout our life and how important it is to do the work of naming our trauma and that it is possible to heal from it as much as we might rather ignore it or just hope it goes away. So please go check out The Body Keeps the Score. All right, to wrap up this episode, before we go, Andi, how can listeners get in contact with you and check out what you're up to? Yeah, well, um, you can find a lot of um, resources and my work at ondicolber.com. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram at ondicolber. And Jessica, how can listeners find and connect with you? Listeners can find me on my food and lifestyle blog, thisfieldjourney.com, on Instagram at Jessica J. Schroeder, and check out my new business, Eden and Me, at edenandme.com. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can search my name on any of the socials and reach out. And of course, check out Wallflower Journal, where we have new articles coming out every week about relationships, beauty, recipes, personal stories, and so much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Dear Wallflower today. If you have a question you'd like answered, you can send your letter to dearwallflower at wallflowerjournal.com. Every letter we read will be kept totally anonymous. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.